What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, the market's top stories, including a Salesforce surprise. This is like a C student in high school who all of a sudden starts pulling straight A's. And you're like, what happened? Elon Musk wants your biometrics and cannabis on Court 17. Quote, it smells like Snoop Dogg's living room, we have to assume. And our big talkers today, students heading back to school, beware. AI is a tool, but a software called Turnit in can track how you use it. CEO Chris Karen. About one in 10 papers is uh, highly suspicious. The takeaway, better safe than sorry. Seriously. Do your own work. If you take shortcuts, you're just hurting yourself. Plus, Thirsty Thursday. We've got the tea on wine, the latest in booze news with Food & Wine's Ray Isle. The interesting thing for Napa is, you know, it used to be the, the region that you learned about wine from, and now it's more like, you know, the Maserati. It is Thursday, August 31st, and a buzzy squawk pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with John Fort and Mike Santoli. Joe and Andrew are both off today. Guys, welcome. Got a lot to look forward to today. Guess we got a fight now, Mike. Funny happening. Yeah, we got a a fight now. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt about it. We're going to talk about actually. We're going to talk about marijuana stuff coming up, and we've got uh, flights of wine waiting for us right over here. So high times right around here. Uh, That Salesforce number last night really being the big excitement. Yes, uh, certainly after hours after that economic data yesterday did calm down bond yields. So Salesforce shares they are higher in the pre-market, adding about 80 points. To the pre-market Dow total earnings of 2.12 per share, beat estimates of $1.90. Revenue rose 11% to $8.6 billion. That beat estimates of $8.5 billion. The company delivered growth in all five of its product categories, and it raised its full-year forecast. CEO Mark Benioff said the company is leading its customers into the new AI era. See there, the stock's going to make a bid to get back toward those highs uh, from from July, John, and uh, it seems like it was. What folks wanted to hear, more or less. This is like a, a C student in high school who all of a sudden starts pulling straight <laughs> right. And you're like, what happened? You know, all this potential was there. Yeah. And especially the gross margins were impressive, right? Uh, non-gap gross margins. They had said, oh, maybe next year we're going to hit 30%. And then they said, oh, actually this year we're hitting 30%. Yep. We're going to do even better next year. I, I think there's some questions, though, about how durable this is. MuleSoft, I will mention for them, did particularly well, and that is like data integration, getting people ready, not just for the cloud, but for the AI era. And you could tell Benioff was gearing up to talk a lot about that at Dreamforce. What what created the margin improvement? Was this layoffs of people? Was this, like, what what was behind that? What got them to this position? Well, I think the layoffs were a big part of it. I also think, I get the sense, they like to spend money over there before. Like, they were just kind of, you know, there were buildings, there were lots of acquisitions. Lots of stuff was going on where they were spending the money as it was coming in. They're not doing that as much anymore. And I think about quickly. Well, but when we're talking about top line growth, and again, we're going to be talking about this all morning, 
how do they power that top line growth without doing some of those acquisitions, some of which do really well for them, like MuleSoft, the hero of the quarter. Then they spent four times that much on Slack. You didn't hear a lot about Slack on the call. I mean, it, it also is like the C student who says, oh, wait, it's not cool just to slide by anymore. You're not going to give me credit for that. I'm not going to be super popular because they were popular and the market and I, and did I, not demand bottom line performance. And I can work for my potential. Exactly. And now it's like, no, no, we're Problem. only going to reward you okay. for, the, for the bottom line results. Now they're managing the company in that direction. And so far it's, it's working. Yeah, it's cool to be smart these days. <laughs> Speaking of smart people, Elon Musk posting just after 3 a.m. Eastern about the future of X, the platform formerly known as Twitter. He said video and audio calls are coming to X. It'll work on iOS, Android, Mac, and PC. No phone number needed. X is the effective global address book. That set of factors is unique. Yesterday, X confirmed it updated its privacy policy to include that it plans to collect biometric data from users The company says it'll use the data for safety, security, and information purposes, but didn't elaborate further. X also said it might gather information about your job and education history to recommend potential jobs for you or enable employers to find potential candidates. I mean, there's going to be... Like LinkedIn? I guess. I mean, they want to be LinkedIn. They want to be WhatsApp. They want to be. You have to have everything in there, I guess. A lot of those bots are going to have some interesting, uh, you know, job job histories. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, uh, Biometric data, maybe maybe voice here. I don't know. Like most of the people who I interact on Twitter, I have no idea who they are. So address book, that's like spam is most of the people who are right. Are you going to have to give your name? That would help. Right. Uh, You know, uh, address book, but you don't need a phone number to to do video and audio chat. So I don't I it's it's I'm wondering what problem this is meant to solve, to be honest with you. In other words, you can do all this stuff somewhere else. You the problem really of getting more revenue for X. <laughs> the problem of getting more revenue in for X. No, of course, but like, <laughs> it's not exactly like that's a font of revenue with right. people FaceTiming, I mean, outside of the device itself. Right? Well, on your phone, yeah. right, it, it says spam call when somebody you don't want to hear right, from. Exactly. Call. But on Twitter, you'll have an actual handle where you can see, oh, this is... Right. How many of the people who are tweeting at you do you actually want to talk to? All well, of them, right? I haven't. I haven't actually looked up their numbers, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. In other Mux news, Manhattan federal prosecutors are investigating the Tesla CEO's use of funds on a secret project that had been described internally as a house for Musk. Uh, multiple reports earlier in the summer said employees were working on Project 42. That included plans that called for a glass building near Tesla's Austin headquarters. Musk mocked the story on his platform, posting. This is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Where is this house? Metaphors don't count. Is he throwing stones? Because it's a little, you shouldn't do that in a glass house. But is this a house? I mean, Musk sleeps on the factory floor. So if he's already sleeping there, is it already his house? This is going to be something they dig into. They find him for more, more information on. It's not like he needs the cash. Or the I mean, I remember the original along. journal story when the board was looking into it. And, you know, you right, had the reports on the Right, the board started the investigation, the by the way. That's, yeah, the, the, exactly. Their, their own board started we the investigation. We don't know the results of that, necessarily. Right, exactly. So what do you, I mean, what it was apparently it really to... expensive glass, but apparently it had a place for a residence, potentially. And so then the question is, did the company report it as a comp, uh, as compensation or a perk for their CEO? My guess is it's probably more of the latter. He probably wanted a more comfortable workplace to sleep in, but who knows? We'll, we'll find out what the results of their internal study and then this external government stuff has to do, too. 
And cannabis stocks jumped yesterday after a spokesperson said that the Department of Health and Human Services has recommended reclassifying marijuana as a lower-risk drug, which would ease restrictions on the business. It's currently a Schedule One drug, which means it's deemed to have no acceptable medical use and a high potential for abuse. Despite that federal designation, it has been legalized for recreational use in nearly half of the states. Reports say HHS recommended that marijuana be reclassified as a Schedule Three drug, which would be defined as drugs with moderate to low potential for physical and psychological dependence. Well, speaking of marijuana, tennis players at the U.S. Open complained this week of a strong pot smell, particularly on Court 17. Alexander Zverev, uh, who won his opening match on that court Tuesday, said, quote, it smells like Snoop Dogg's <laughs> living room. We have to assume or uh, what it might smell house. like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, the U.S. Tennis Association questioned officials and reviewed video of the match found no evidence of anyone smoking pot in the stands, but Corona Park, a public park, is just outside the court's gates, and players speculated that the smell was coming from that park. It's illegal, oh, it is legal, excuse me, in New York for adults to possess up to three ounces of cannabis, and they may smoke or vape it wherever smoking tobacco. Look, I was complaining about this yesterday, walking down the street in New, in New York. York City. Yeah. You run into the smell all over the place. And the one thing I will say, all, all laughs aside, there are people who have certain medications they're on if you have seizures or anything else, as someone in my family yeah. is. If you're on medication for that stuff, it doesn't mix with, with, with uh, marijuana. Sure. So you could be putting these, them, other people at potential for this. It's not just yourself. I don't sure, care what you do for that. yourself, but stop blowing your pot my way. Well, or if you're trying to win a professional tennis match. Right. <laughs> right. Might slow the, you the down a little. You want to well, Coco Golf was complaining that the play was too slow. Maybe this is the reason why. <laughs> there you go. Cheese will be next. The next guest coming up on Squawk Pod says, do your own work or his software will catch you. Students are heading back to school with AI in their book bags. So we're asking CEO of Turnitin, Chris Karen, what educators can do to encourage true learning. The goal is not to catch and punish students, but to encourage original work from the outset. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, Wealth Strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. This is Squawk Pod. This is Becky's mic. Straight up on Becky. Three, two, one. Up on Becky. Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Mike Santoli and John Ford. Joe and Andrew are off today. As students return to school, educators are about to be faced with a growing wave of AI-generated content being presented as their homework. That presents some pretty big headaches for teachers on the lookout for plagiarism. Our next guest runs Turnitin. That is a company that's focused on academic integrity solutions. 
Yeah, catching cheaters, that means. It rolled out a new AI detection service a few months ago. Joining us right now is Turnitin CEO and President Chris Karen. And Chris, I've been worried myself about how schools are going to know who's cheating using CHAP GPT. How are you guys trying to detect this? Uh, great to be here. So first of all, I'd, I'd say the, the biggest thing we try to do is prevent students making short, taking shortcuts in the first place. Um, historically, when schools license our software to check for uh, plagiarism from the internet or from other student work, um, about one in 10 papers is uh, highly suspicious. Once our software is implemented, really? it tends to drop by at least half. So about one in 20 papers or 5%. We are seeing students use ChatGPT quite extensively for doing research, for um, getting the virtual tutoring help. And to your question, uh, it is showing up in student essays. Our detector was launched about six months ago. Since then, we've had about 75 million student submissions uh, and about 20% have some level of AI writing in their essays. And about 3% are largely 100% written by ChatGPT. Uh, so it is a phenomenon, new use case for students to either um, get help with their essays or in some cases take shortcuts, which are considered misconduct. You know, that's that's what I'm trying to figure out, what the difference is between the two. And I, I think it's a question that's not easily answered. We had the American University president on yesterday, and she didn't give a great answer on it. When is it cheating? And when is it just doing research? And by the way, this isn't just new with AI. This is what people have right. been doing with Wikipedia, with Google, with stuff for a long time. What when does it cross that line into absolute plagiarism? And, and this is something that's going to get you kicked out of school, get an F in the course, ruin your right. career down the road. Yeah. So we leave it up to the educator to decide what is uh, over the line versus not. I can say when the when the essay is 80 percent or plus chat GPT authored, it's clearly misconduct. And that does happen, like I said, about a one out of 30 times. Um, but some level of AI involvement in the essay, uh, most educators say is OK. To be honest, when students graduate college and go in the workforce, um, educators expect students to know how to use AI in their writing, in their computer um, programming assignments, et cetera. So in general, some level of AI in student writing is considered okay, but when the entire paper, most of the paper, especially the, the core sections on conclusions, critical thinking, is AI generated, that's misconduct in the eyes of most educators. What, what educators are using you? Is this high school? Is this college? Is this Yeah, places? so we started out in college. Majority of U.S. college students use our software. Um, we also have a big presence in high schools. About half the high schools in the U.S. use our software as well, and we're quite global. So I'd say majority of universities around the world use our software to uh, ensure integrity of student writing, of test taking, et cetera. The numbers that you quoted before, that, that maybe one in 10 papers was using some form of plagiarism before your software was implemented, then it dropped by half. Right. I mean, has cheating increased with, the, uh, with everybody having access to Wikipedia? Has it increased with ChatGPT? Or is this something that's been a constant sort of stream out there, like the old school getting somebody else to write your paper and turning it in? Yeah, so early days with students coming off the internet, and, and the frequency has been basically steady to your question. Uh, it evolved into students recycling other students' work thanks to cheat sites and uh, social networks. It evolved recently into students hiring folks online to write their, write their essays for them. So it's original, but it's just not them. And AI is the, kind of the new uh, way students, in, in cases, uh, cut corners. Uh, in general, the problem increased during the, the COVID return to, uh, to home-based learning. It's, um, it's come down since then, but it's a stable uh, issue. Again, we focus on deterrent versus detection and, uh, and student punishment. But um, the, the interesting thing about ChatGPT is it's not replacing traditional forms of plagiarism. It's an additive form of misconduct. So 
where pre-chat GPT, call it 5% of papers were likely plagiarized, that 5%'s gone to 8%, and that additional three is, um, is AI being used to write the student paper for them. Chris, what's lost when students don't learn to write well? I mean, I, I've got my opinions, just clarity of thought when you gotta boil something down, communicate it clearly. I, I think a lot of right. people think, well, you know, if it gets communicated, if the ideas, if you prompt it correctly, that's something. But can you articulate what you think gets lost when the computers are doing the writing? Yeah, no, it's a very, very uh, timely question. I'd say people, again, will, will use AI to improve the clarity of their, their writing uh, to be um, even more co coherent and high quality. But writing is the core way you demonstrate critical thinking skills, uh, communication skills, argumentative skills. So it's, it's super important for students who want to be successful in the workforce to, to use writing as a form of um, developing thinking skills and communication skills. If you outsource that to AI, in the end, you're just cheating yourself. But um, uh, I, I believe, and educators I talk to believe, writing is um, is a core way to express and develop thinking skills, which are one of the top things uh, the workplace looks for in, in, in college graduates. Chris, um, the schools that don't use you, is it because the service is just too expensive? No, our service costs l less than a cup of coffee at Starbucks per student per year. So it's not expensive software. Um, some schools believe their honor code is all they need. Uh, that's a very small subset. <laughs> um, some have in high school have bigger problems to solve, like just getting kids to come to class and turn in their work. But in general, vast majority of universities use software like ours and more and more high schools as well. Again, the goal is not to catch and punish students, but to encourage original work from the outset. So what, uh, what is your growth prospect just in terms of bringing in new customers? Is there a limit? Because as you mentioned, some schools have much bigger problems they're dealing with. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of growth. Um, again, academic integrity is a, gl a global issue across universities and high schools. So we're, we're quite, um, quite global. Enrollments uh, are dropping in the U.S. due to demographics, due to the ROI of a college degree, slowly. But globally, uh, the higher ed um, enrollment is is projected to double over the next 10 years. So we see uh, a lot of opportunity in the U.S., but also outside the U.S. All right, Chris, um, thank you. It, real quickly, if you, let's just say, had kids in college, high school, what tip would you give them? Yeah, I have four daughters, and I say, do your own work. In the end, if, if you take shortcuts, you're just hurting yourself long term. So do the hard work, do your own work. Uh, do the learning, and uh, you'll benefit long-term from uh, taking that approach. And look out, because you're going to turn their software on them and make sure they're doing their own work. Um, Chris, thank you. We appreciate your time today. Of course. Thank you. My toughest English professor in college, you got graded on the revisions. So, Ooh. you know, it doesn't matter who wrote the first draft. You were going to have heavy revisions, one, two, and that's what got graded. But, and so. then the other thing is, like, how, how do you get how do you make sure nobody's cheating? It just seems like for professors, that's a tougher and tougher act. Mike and I were talking about it yesterday. Shut off the Wi-Fi in the room. That's probably right. a good idea. Well, you and you would go room. into our Pen office to talk about the paper and talk about the revision. If you didn't know what you were talking about, bust it. Yeah. Coming up on Squawk Pod, two buck chuck, no more. How Napa Valley wine skyrocketed in popularity and price. We're diving into the drinks market with Ray Isle, executive wine editor at Food & Wine. The super prestige wine regions are on this kind of rocket incline at the moment. And it's kind of weird. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. 
At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. You're listening to Squawk Pod, and it's wine time. Here's Becky Quick. Price inflation persists for consumers, including in a classic corner of the American wine industry. Get this. The average price for a bottle of wine from Napa Valley now exceeds $100, the average price. And joining us right now to talk about that and the taste is in the California price surge is Ray Isle. He's the food and wine executive wine editor. And Ray, it's really good to see you. It's great to be back. Thank you for having me. I'm stunned to hear this idea <laughs> that it's 108 bucks is the average price. It's kind of crazy. It came out in a, in a report recently from... Well, what was Silicon Valley Bank? It is now, um, um, you know, has been moved over. Of course. But um, <laughs> that's a different story entirely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so Napa Napa prices particularly have gone way up, and you know, it it's it's a combination of factors. It's, uh, some of it is inflation for sure, but it but Napa rises at a fast is rising at a faster rate than any other wine region in the U.S. And it's it's because it's prestige. It's, um, it's it is, snobbery. It's snobbery. Yeah. Well, snobbery, and it's also, it's, I mean, it's easily the most famous wine region in the U.S., yeah. and it's one of the most famous wine regions in the world. And you're seeing this not just with Napa, but with Burgundy, with, with top Bordeaux. The, the super prestige wine regions are on this kind of right, rocket incline at the moment. And it's kind of weird. I mean, because it's, you know, I got into wine trying Napa Valley wines when I was a grad student. I, I was not paying $100 a bottle. I guarantee you that. I was saving my burrito money. I'm not paying 100 bucks a bottle now. <laughs> yeah, the, the idea but, that, that blew me away was this is the average. Yeah, but there are a lot of people who are. And it's, it's I think the question that's interesting for Napa is... They're making is, up for my two-buck chuck purchase. They are, they are absolutely trying to cover you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're they're trying, to, to, trying to balance things out there. But the interesting thing for Napa is, you know, it used to be the, the region that you learned about wine from, and now it's more like you know, the Maserati um, region, in, in a sense. And you're seeing it with prices on hotels there, too, um, which, are, which are up. And the price of even just a tasting, you know, has up, ended up around 80 bucks on average. It used to be, in some places, free. You could want. used to be free. Now, so the funny story about Napa Valley, and they, they're the ones who started the whole thing of paying for tastings, they did it to slow people down. They didn't think it was a profit center. They, this was back in the 70s. It was, the problem was everybody was just stopping along Highway 29 and downing everything they, because it's all free. Why not? <laughs> and then they'd run into a tree, you know. Right, okay. So that, that makes sense <laughs> to actually say, no, you're going to come in and you're going to have to yeah. pay something. This is not a free-for-all. Yeah, and then they realized, wait a minute, this is actually a pretty great profit center. And it's become a, what's weird is that it used to be your tasting room fee just kind of covered the cost of goods, you know. Now, with this kind of experiential side of what everybody wants out of wine, the tasting room fee is its own experience. You know, you, you, you have, and this is partly post-pandemic, too, because it used to be, you know, everybody's seen sideways or whatever. You belly up to the bar, you get your taste. Now it's more of a restaurant model where you're, it's a sit-down tasting. Someone comes and pours you wine. You learn about the wine. And they charge you more for it, but it's much more of a kind of in, in-depth experience of the wine, which is, which is cool, actually. You're getting... You're paying more, but you're getting more for what you're paying. You're not getting that sort of crammed in with That makes sense. Bottles. But the, the average bottle of wine up $17, that, that, that far outstrips the pace of inflation. That, and that really oh, is. Yeah, and that's, but that's in, that is in Napa. I mean, you're, you're looking at, at the, the prestige region. If you look at Sonoma, for instance, um, and this, like, the first wine we've got is a, is a Sonoma Zinfandel. It's just, 
Um, uh, well, no, yeah, no, yeah, go ahead and describe ask. it. Yeah. This is so, so this is um, it's from Dry Creek Vineyard. It's their heritage wine, Zen. This is 28 bucks a bottle. This is not a crazy wine. Um, it's in our September issue. We do, I do a bunch of fall wines in September. It's a lovely wine. It's got tons of flavor. It's sort of black blackberries, black cherries. By the way, Mike and I have decided that John is going to be our tasting okay. guy. He, yeah. He's going to be I'll, the one I'll, who tries I'll, John, I'll, I'll, I'll take the bullet, I'll too. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> and you'll be with us for the next three hours. Yeah, yeah exactly. 620 is a little early. <laughs> yeah, right, try it out. Right, what do you think? But it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful wine. It's not... Um, $150 wine. It's not a it's not a crazy price wine, but it's a it's a smells really good. good bottle of wine. It smells smells terrific. It smells you know like boysenberry syrup for your morning pancakes, yep. <laughs> just with alcohol in it. <laughs> I mean, do, do most people like buy a bottle of wine and just keep buying it as the price goes up, or, or do most people buy a price point and so they end up sort of trading down even within Napa wines during an inflationary period? Yeah. So what's interesting is that, and this is one of those questions: like, do you do you keep your longtime customer base or do you move your customer base up to a higher price level? And most people, when they walk in a store, they have a price in mind. They're going to like, I'm, I'm spending under 40 bucks. I'm spending under 60 bucks. I'm spending under 10 bucks. People, when they go to a tasting room, they, they fall in love with the experience. They fall in love with the wine. They join the wine club. And then they tend to be loyal to it. And they'll follow the price increases along. There was a, a case a long time ago with Camus, famous, famous Camus, where um, early 2000s, I think, they jumped their price by double. They went from like 35 to 70 bucks a bottle, and they didn't lose customers, which was That's kind amazing. of crazy. And they wanted to change their appearance in the world. Hmm. Okay, try the second one. We're almost out of time. Yeah, so yeah. the second one is Lenny Colotto Nemesis. This is from um, Paso Robles. Um, this is an expensive wine. This is 90 bucks. This is Syrah. Um, it's a little deeper, a little more intense. Um, Lenny Colotto is funny because they, they're an inverse to this. Their wine is still expensive, but they, they have their tasting room fees recently. <laughs> the, the guy, Matt Trevison, who runs the winery, is like, this is out of control. I'm having my tasting room fees. Now, that may just be great marketing, too. And then our third wine, because we needed a Napa Valley wine, and this is from Realm Cellars, which is one of the, like, hot, culty, you know, hard to get the wine. Um, 160 bucks a bottle. Good, you know, not crazy right, this for one Napa. I may have to That's taste. actually... And, and, and it's the best one, of course. And, and yeah. it's, oh, it's okay. a beautiful, yeah. it's a beautiful it? wine. Yeah. This is called the Bard. It's their, it's their sort of flagship wine. You know, gorgeous Cabernet. And it, it, what it makes you realize is that you know there is a reason why Napa is famous, and there is a reason why the wines cost a lot of money, is because they're really good. It's reassuring that the market <laughs> you know, actually is at least on some level of. Yeah, you know, a Maserati is a really nice thing to drive, and an Napa Valley Cabernet is a really nice thing to drive. Although I have to say, this twenty-eight dollar bottle one, I haven't tried I, it, but it know, smells good. You know, I, and that's probably I, I don't really drink much red wine, so that would probably be my one because it's. I, fruit I'm a journalist. If I yeah. buy wines, I'm I'm in the twenty-eight yeah. zone. <laughs> Which is why I always love you, Ray. So, <laughs> thank you Cheers. for coming in today. It's thank you great very to much see for having. Uh, Ray Isle, again, is Food & Wine's editor. He also has a book coming out in the fall. It's called The World in a Wine Glass. It's out on November 14th, and you'll have to come back. Yeah, I'd, I would absolutely love to. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Ray. Great. Coming John, out, how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. <laughs> you you got to sip. It's like Squawk Boss. You, yeah. you don't chug it. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern to catch them live for three full hours. And for the highlights and the fun from that TV broadcast, follow us here, Squawk Pod, wherever you are listening now. We will meet you right back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.